We've talked about several different kinds of prayer in the last few weeks. Every Christian's call to prayer. Everybody in here, if you're a believer, you're called to pray. Why some prayers go unanswered was another week a message, week's message. It wasn't a weak message. It was a good one. Then we talked about the prayer of perseverance, how we're to pray and not faint. And last week we talked about the prayer of warfare. There is a spiritual warfare going on clearly in our country. And God is looking for prayers. Now today I'm going to talk to you about the kind of prayer that's probably the most misunderstood, the prayer of intercession. You know, we always hear about intercessory prayers. And it's usually this little pocket of people that are kind of weird. It's just a little handful in every church, and they're off interceding. And we kind of look at them like, well, that's kind of their deal. But I want you to understand today, every believer is called to intercede. So you're weird too, in a good way. All right? Now we're going to read three verses where Paul's going to mention four kinds of prayer, and you'll notice that one of them is the prayer of intercession. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Here we go. First of all, then I urge that supplications, there's the first one, prayers, there's the second one, intercessions, third, and thanksgivings, the fourth, be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. Why are we to pray, read it with me, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life? How many of you like peace and quiet? This is talking about being free of persecution. That if there is a mightily praying church, it puts peace on that culture. Because the forces of hell are restrained. Now, he says, this is good. And it's pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. Well, I want to please God. What about you? So when God sees the church praying, it pleases him. Father, thank you for your word today. And we pray that you will minister your word to us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Set us on fire to turn off that TV, to put down that magazine. Lord, to go into the war room and shut the door and pray the Father in secret. And the Lord, we would go in and intercede so that there is an actual visible result on our culture, on our society, in our, in our own life. I pray that you will take us up another level in our prayer life, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Now, church, pray with me and say, Lord, take my prayer level up. I believe you to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Tell your neighbor God heard that prayer and you can be seated. And let me talk to you about the intercessory prayer. Author Samuel Chadwick wrote this about prayer. Listen to this. It's so powerful. He said, Satan dreads nothing but prayer. His one concern is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing. Catch this. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, he mocks our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. He trembles when we pray. Prayer is the one thing that Satan will do anything to keep you from. 
Have you ever noticed when you decide to up your prayer life, suddenly every distraction in the world comes your way? The phone rings, something breaks, the kids go nuts, things happen. You get a flat tire, you lose your job. As soon as you decided to pray, it's like Satan puts you in the crosshairs. Why? Because the last thing he wants is for you to pray. And let me tell you why. Because prayer releases the power of God onto your problem. It releases God's liberty into your bondage, his wisdom into your perplexity, his peace into your trouble, his guidance into your confusion, his healing into your hurt, his strength into your weakness, his power into your impossibility. When you pray the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, a righteous woman, a righteous person, releases great power, dynamic in the way that it manifests itself and works. Prayer works. Now, in our text, as I already pointed out, he named four kinds of prayer. Do you know they're all different? He names first supplication. I urge you that supplications be made. Well, what is that? That's the prayer of entreaty. That is the prayer for a specific heartfelt need. The, the suppliant who is supplicating is usually asking God for mercy. The suppliant is between a rock and a hard place, and they need the mercy of God, and they need a breakthrough, and they are crying with heartfelt passion that God would do something. That's supplication. But then he just says prayers. I, I urge you that supplications and prayers, that's talking about simple petitions. You're bringing to God your prayers every day. You know, I pray every day, and I, and I like to pray through the Lord's Prayer. It covers everything. And, and, you know, I pray every day, give us this day our daily bread. Now, I pray it kind of matter-of-factly. You know, I, I, I am stating my dependence on God when I say, Lord, give me this day my daily bread. I trust you for my provision. But you let me be two months late on my bills, and I'm not praying. I'm supplicating. I'm saying, oh, God, help me. That's, that's really most supplicating prayers are help me. But then he moves to the third one, thanksgiving. You know, that's the kind of prayer when you say, thank you, Lord. That is a type of prayer. You're praying when you thank God. We ought to thank God all the time. Think to thank all the time. Don't wait till thanksgiving. Think to thank all the time. Thanksgiving is what it means here is literally to give God thanks for his grace. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And then the exact same family of prayer words are found in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Same words. He says, in everything by prayer, there's one. Supplication, two. Thanksgiving, three. And requests. Let your requests be made known to God. Four types of prayer in those verses as well. Paul liked families of words. And so there you've got four kinds of prayer. But the fourth kind, is the one we want to look at today, the prayer of intercession, the prayer of intercession. This is not just for a select few. The prayer of intercession is for everybody who names the name of Christ. You know why? Because intercession literally means to approach the king, to approach the king. I think of Esther going before the king of Persia as an intercessor for her people, for the entire nation, and she interceded for the Jewish people that God, that, that God would prevent their extermination by what the wicked Hymen had done. 
She interceded. She approached the king. That's what it means. And it means to approach the king for an intervention. That's what it means. Intercession, I approach the king covered in the blood of the lamb, and I'm coming for an intervention. God, I need you to move. I'm asking you to move. You've got to move, and if you don't move, all is lost. It means to stand in between God and the object of his impending judgment. Now, I want you to picture something. you got God over here, and, and God is a holy God. He's a righteous God. He's a good God. And because he's a God of love and a God of holiness, he's also a God of judgment. He judges. Over and over, all through the Bible, it says God will judge the nations. God will judge the earth. A judgment day is coming. We all know that, right? I trust we all know that. There is a judgment day coming. But now, here's God, and, and God is offended by the sins that take place on planet earth. And over here, you've got the object of his wrath, the object of his judgment, those that are sinning against him. And now, here's what the intercessor does. The intercessor steps in the middle and turns and faces God and prays for God's mercy and intervention so that judgment doesn't fall, or at least there's mercy in judgment. God wants and is looking for people who will step into the middle. We're about to see this in just a moment. And turn and face him and say, oh, God, we need revival. Yes, we deserve judgment. Yes, we deserve hell. But, Lord, I'm asking you for mercy. I'm asking you for grace. I'm asking you, Lord, to pour out a revival and an awakening. And God is looking for that. God wants that. That's the prayer of intercession. That's the intercessor. That's what God is looking for. Now, we've all heard how the word sin means to miss the mark. When you say, well, I sinned, what you're really saying is I missed the mark. I missed the bullseye. I missed the, the real purpose of God for me. I missed God's plan for me. I missed the mark. And that's what sin does. You miss the bullseye of life. You miss the mark. You miss the meaning. You miss the purpose. You miss the destiny that God had for you. That's why sin is tragic, because we miss the mark. But now the word intercessor is a word that, that is the opposite of sin, of missing the mark. The word intercessor means to hit the mark, to hit the bullseye. And here's where it's driving. It says, because the intercessor is one who waits before God long enough to discern his will about a certain thing. And then they pray. That intercessor prays about the clearly revealed will of God. And that prayer hits the bullseye, hits the mark. It's accurate. It's strategic. It is, it is aimed. It is intentional. In the wilderness, when the people had angered the Lord and judgment was falling, it says, but Aaron burned the incense and purified the people. He stood between the dead and the living. Here's Aaron. What a picture of intercession. A plague is moving. The people of God have provoked God, and there is a plague move, moving through all of Israel out there in the wilderness. And what does Aaron do? He grabs some incense. Those incense are a picture of prayer. Prayers are called incense in the book of Revelation. And he takes those incense, and he stands between the dead and the living. And he says, oh, God, have mercy. And Aaron's standing there holding up those incense representing prayer. 
the plague stopped right there. Perfect picture of intercession. When again, the people that provoked the judgment of God were told Moses prayed. And I told the first service, I couldn't pray this way. I can't think of anybody I would pray this way for. I'm not spiritual enough to pray this prayer. Maybe you are. But look what he said. Moses said, but now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. I wish I could say there was one or two on earth I could do that for. It reminds me of Paul in Romans 9 when Paul says, in Romans 9, he says, I would that God would send me to hell, that my own people would be saved. You must have, you got to get to a spiritual place to be able to pray that prayer. But Moses did. He stood between God and the object of his wrath and intervened according to the will of God. And God had mercy and spared the people. Now, the classic picture of intercession, the best one I know of in all the Bible, is the story of Abraham's intercession for Sodom and Gomorrah. There's not a better picture of intercession than this one. So let me just go over this story with you. You all know the story. God's impending judgment was hovering over Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Bible says that here's Abraham one day, and him and Sarah are just having a normal day, going through life. They're, you know, they're living in their tent, and they're, they're camped on the promised land. And all of a sudden, three men come walking into the camp. And immediately, Abraham discerns these men are not normal. These are not human beings. And the Bible says he discerned that they were angelic, that they were from heaven, that they were not flesh and blood. And the Bible says that he took them in and he fellowshiped with them and he talked with them. And they, again, said Sarah's going to have a child. And they brought some word to Abraham and his family But the Bible says it came time for them to leave. And when they started to leave, it says in Genesis 18, 16, then the men got up from their meal and looked out toward Sodom. As they left, Abraham went with them to send them on their way. In verse 17, one of them that the Bible calls the Lord said, should I hide my plan from Abraham? Should I hide my plan from Abraham? Now, what you've got here is you've got two angels and a Christophany. A Christophany is when Jesus Christ manifested himself on earth before he was born as a flesh and blood baby. You've got Jesus here because the Bible calls him the Lord. He appeared with them in the wilderness. The rock that followed them was Christ. Jesus appeared several times in the Old Testament pre-incarnate. And this is one of them. And it says, it says that he said, should I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? The reason we've really come here. Because there's a reason we came to this tent. And there's a reason I am now standing looking at Abraham. We're going to see that the reason was he wanted an intercessor. Judgment was looming Abraham, the soon-to-be intercessor, lingered in God's presence to discern his will, to understand what the Lord was doing. It says as they began to leave, he followed them, he tracked them, and he stayed with the one that stood out from the other two. 
And God was more than willing to tell his man what he was doing. You see, that's the power of being a prayer. See, when you're a prayer and God knows you're going into the prayer closet and God knows you are availing yourself of prayer and God knows that you're saying, Lord, pray through me, pray through me, use me in the ministry of prayer, then he will share with you his secrets. He will give you his burdens. He will share his heart with you. He will allow you to understand what he wants you to pray for. And you become a conduit for the burden and the prayer of God in the earth. God tells Abraham, now here's Abraham, the other two guys, the other two men, the angels, are headed down towards Sodom. We remember that. Two of them walked into Sodom. The third one is here. Abraham is tarrying. He's looking at him. And this Lord tells Abraham, I've heard a great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin is so flagrant. You get that? When sin becomes flagrant, when there's no more shame, when there's no more embarrassment, when there's no more conscience, when there's no more conviction, when sin is paraded and flaunted before God and man, the cry reaches to God. I've heard a great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin is so flagrant. I'm going down to see if their actions are as wicked as I have heard. If not, I want to know. Now, now put yourself in Abraham's shoes. Abraham is instantly made to understand that Sodom is in the crosshairs of coming judgment. God shows it to him in a flash. And the Bible reveals why. The Bible shows that moral perversion had infected the entire populace rushing in with this revelation as he stands there looking at the Lord. Rushing in with this is the realization that his nephew Lot, who he had said goodbye to years before, imparted ways with years before, and his wife and his children and, and future in-laws are all down there in the city of doom. And God is telling his intercessor. I want you to pray. I want you to understand what's going on because, Abraham, I know that you know me, and I know that you'll know how to pray because you know me, and you know that I want to have mercy, and you know that I don't like judging people. You know my character. And so, Abraham, I'm going to tell you what I'm doing so that you can pray and intercede. Folks, we've got to understand the, pr the call to prayer is a high calling. It is a high calling, and it rests on everybody in this room. You are a prayer. You have power with God. Man. Now, you know I talk a lot about my little dogs. I've got dogs. One of them is a chihuahua. The thing about my chihuahua is he doesn't know he's a chihuahua. Because I'll have somebody come to the door, a great big burly man will come to the door, you know, somebody to work on the house or whatever, and my little chihuahua will attack him and grab his pant leg and tear into him like he's a German shepherd, but he's not. He's a little chihuahua. But what I like about him is he's got guts. <laughs> Let me tell you something about you. You will never rise beyond the way you see yourself. You will never go further than the way you see yourself. That's why Jesus was always defining people. When you met Jesus, he's, he defined you. Simon Peter, you've been like water. You've been unstable as water. But Simon Peter, you're going to be a rock. 
I'm defining you. Follow me and I'll make you to become, make you to become, make you to become, make you to become fishers of men. He defined them. You are the head and not the tail above and not beneath. Blessed in the storehouse, blessed in the field, blessed in your going out, blessed in your coming in. You are more than a conqueror through him who loved you. He always leads you in victory in Jesus Christ. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He defines you. And if only you could see yourself the way God sees you, he sees you as a prayer warrior. He sees you as a prayer warrior. He sees you as one who can pray and bring it down. So here's God's man, God's intercessor, and he's been made aware of a coming catastrophic judgment. He sees the angels looking towards Sodom. He says, uh-oh, something is up. And here's what he does. Abraham, the intercessor, steps between God and Sodom. Here's God, here's Sodom. Here's the Lord looking right at him. He steps in between. The Bible says, look at this, it's powerful. Verse 22, then the men turned away from there. The two men, two of the angels that went to Sodom, and from, from there, and they went towards Sodom while Abraham was still standing before the Lord. Two of the three went off to Sodom. The Lord stood there. And it's so very important, so very crucial that we understand this word when it says before. He stood before the Lord. That, that means facing. He faced the Lord. He's not facing Sodom where all the trouble is. He's facing the Lord. He knows the answer is the Lord. He knows there's mercy in the Lord. He doesn't look at Sodom and say, oh, man, you're toast. No, he turns to the Lord and faces him and stands in front of him and begins to talk to him and pray to him and intercede for the place called Sodom. He said, my hope is in him. The answer is in him. I know he answers prayer. I know prayer can change things. And so I'm going to pray. He positions himself in front of the Lord, facing him, which is perfect intercessory posture. At its finest. Because we know, for instance, that God, listen, if God's not going to judge America, then I don't know this Bible. If God, if America's not in trouble with God, I don't know this Bible. America has to be in the crosshairs of God's judgment. You say, well, Jeff, come on now. You're sounding like an Old Testament prophet. No, I'm sounding like a New Testament prophet. Jesus looked at Jerusalem and said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how many times I would have gathered you like a hen gathered her chicks? But you would not. Judgment is coming to you, Jerusalem. The greatest prophet of all time said that. And Jerusalem was leveled 30 years, about 40 years later. Paul said of Rome, the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. America is in trouble. We have forsaken God. What did Sodom do that we have not done? Oh, wow, this is a heavy word. I know. I have to speak out of my heart. I have to speak out of my heart. 
I can't get up here and tell you, well, God wants you rich. God wants you in a Cadillac. God, I'm not up here to give you a self-help message. We need to understand the ways of God. And the ways of God are when a nation is facing judgment, God is on the hunt for intercessors. He's on the hunt. Here's Abraham. He's, he's praying. And it says, and we've got to think of, 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 look at his boldness. And you've got to think of that verse in Hebrews. Let us therefore come boldly. Here's, he's facing the Lord boldly. He's, oh, hang on, God. Wait a minute. He's facing him boldly. Let us therefore come boldly. In the New Testament, us. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find the grace to help us in the hour of need. If one man who didn't have the blood of Jesus, who didn't have the word of God, Sodom had no Bible, Abraham had no Bible, but his prayers stopped or at least brought mercy into the context of judgment. If he could do that, where are we when the name of Jesus on our lips and the blood of Jesus covering our soul and the words of Jesus telling us, go to the Father in my name and he will answer you and he will do great and mighty things you have not yet known. All the encouragement we've got to pray. Make no mistake about it, when Abraham stood and faced him and stood between him and Sodom, that's exactly what God wanted him to do. Exactly what God wanted him to do. Abraham's not being presumptuous. He's not being cocky. He's not being arrogant. He's not being disrespectful at all. The Bible's already said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? What other reason would he say that unless he wanted Abraham to intercede? And he did. God always reveals coming judgment to his people that they might pray Amos said, surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. Well, you're his servant. Amen? Now, here's Abraham. He stands in front of him. And what I like about this, there's, there's a little bit of humor here. I can't get away from it because he's going to bargain God down. He stands in front of him, and he says, well, Lord, I'm going to ask you a question. Boy, this is boldness. Here's the Lord. He says, I'm going to ask you a question, Lord. He says, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Will not the judge of all the earth do right? I mean, knowing that this guy could go, and you're gone. He says, will not the judge of all the earth do right? Now, it's not that God was having to be told to not do something wrong. What Abraham is doing is he's acknowledging his belief in the ultimate righteousness and goodness of God. It might have read this way. Lord, we both know that you won't judge the righteous with the wicked. Don't we, Lord? Absolutely, I won't judge the righteous with the wicked. Then Abraham begins the process of whittling him down, whittling down the number of righteous people God is willing to spare the entire city for. And he starts... With 50. He said, what about 50? Will, will you spare the city for 50? And God says, for 50 righteous people, I will spare the city. And he goes, do I hear 45? <laughs> How about 45? God says, I'll do it for 45. And he says, he says wow, I'm going to be bold. What about 30, Lord? Will you spare it for 30? God Almighty says, I'll spare the whole thing for 30 righteous. 
Abraham keeps going. He says, I'm on a roll. He says, all right, 20. What about 20? God says 20. He ends with 10. He says, I can't go any lower than 10. He says, 10. What about 10? He says, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? God says, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. Now, I want you to notice the grace and the favor God shows in answer to intercessory prayer. What we learn here is that God much prefers mercy over judgment. Amen. God says, listen to God in Ezekiel. God speaking through Ezekiel. Do you think that I like to see wicked people die? Says the sovereign Lord. Of course not. I want, the, I want them to turn from their wicked ways and live. James says, mercy triumphs over judgment. So this intercession intervention session ends with God's promise he'll spare the whole city if he can find just 10 people who are walking in righteousness and have not been morally perverted and corrupted. Just 10. The whole city. There was not 10. And here's what I found. Archaeologists dug up Sodom and Gomorrah, or at least went to where it had been, and found a graveyard right next door to Sodom and Gomorrah. And in that graveyard, they found half a million graves. Half a million. You know what that means? Sodom was a large city. It was bustling. It was successful. It was materially rich. If you lived there, you would have felt like you had struck it rich, that you had struck gold. The, 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 the pasture land was amazing. The income, the economy was thriving, but they had all been corrupted. We see in the chilling attack of the Sodomites against the two angels in Lot's house, it says, quote, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. All the men, all the men, all the men of that city, all the men. Some clearly fully homosexual, some bisexual, but all the men. The moral corruption of the city of Sodom had infected the young people, the teenagers, the old, and in between. It had reached the point where there was nothing left but judgment. And I'm just telling you what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says. Their brazen boldness, banging on Lot's door, give these men to us. Lack of shame, no more shame, no more conscience, no more blush. Reminds you of a nation you know about now testifies that their conscience had become totally seared. No wonder the cry of that place had reached the ear of God. And God came down to see what was there. And Lot knew what was there. He told those two men, don't sleep in the square. Don't sleep in the open square of this city. Come to my home. Don't get out there in the open. It's animalistic at night. You're not safe. Now, I want you to notice again the mercy of God, how it's manifested because of an intercessor. Watch this. God had agreed to ten righteous beings enough to spare the city from judgment, but ten could not be found. 
if a grave, if a graveyard had half a million, let's just say the city had half a million. Out of a half a million, there were not ten. Not ten. The leaven of moral perversion had infected an entire society. And you think that's not happening in America right now? Why do we need intercessors? Because our entire culture is being infected. We need a move of God. Look at the mercy of God. When ten could not be found, the two angels began to urge Lot. Look what they said to Lot. Do you have anybody else here? Sons-in-law, sons or daughters, anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here because we're going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great, he has sent us to destroy it. Now here we see that God is about to extend his mercy because he's a merciful God. The mercies of the Lord are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Where would we be without the mercies of the Lord? Lamentation says we would have all been consumed, but for the mercy of the Lord. Our God is a God of mercy. He's a God of grace. He's a God of love. And he's a prayer-answering God. And look what happened here. Because Abraham interceded and prayed, these angels turned a lot and they say, you've got a little bit of time. We are hours from judgment. Go get anybody you know, anybody in this city. I picture a terrified lot running through the dark, sin-infested, dusky streets of Sodom. His heart is pounding. He bangs on the door of his first future son-in-law. Lot's daughters weren't in there. It just says the son-in-law was in there. They were betrothed, but they weren't married yet. The two girls were at home. This was future son-in-law. He runs to his house, and he says, hurry, get out of this place, for the Lord's about to destroy it. But the young man mocks him. The young man mocked him. It says he seemed to him like somebody who was joking. Then he runs to the second house, to the second future son-in-law, bangs on the door, says the same thing, and he's mocked again by his son-in-law. Two men mocking him. Judgment is moments away. Judgment is at the door. It's about to come. And his warning to get out is ignored. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Lot, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. What do you mean by that? Preachers are going to preach. Warners are going to warn. There's going to be a cry, the Word of God going out to a backslidden, corrupted culture. And Jesus said, the way these young men treated Lot is the way many preachers will be treated. Mocked. As the sun began inching up over the horizon, God's mercy is extended even further. The Bible says, as Lot tarried, that means he couldn't make up his mind. He couldn't make up his mind. I mean, you've got an angel here. You've got an angel here. And he's saying, get out. And he tarries. He can't, he, Sodom has got him. The angel's trying to get him out of Sodom, but he can't get Sodom out of him. He tarries. And these two angels, by the mercy of God, because somebody interceded, grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city. And the Bible says as soon as they broke through the border of that city, fire from heaven fell down and consumed that place. And it doesn't say that it was a comet. The Bible is very clear. It says God Amen. sent the fire 
And Peter says he did this as an example to all future generations. That when moral perversion sets into a culture, it begins to rot it from the inside out. That culture is in for judgment. Lot tarried, his wife tarried, his daughters tarried, and they couldn't bring themselves to get out. So the angels literally, this picture of the rapture really, the angels grabbed them and took them out. I have a question for you in closing. Had Abraham not interceded, would Lot and his family have been delivered? Would there have been a window of opportunity like this one if Abraham had not stood and faced God and said, come on, God, have mercy, have mercy. And not only did God answer him, but God went beyond his answer, beyond his promise, and did even more and showed even more mercy. I don't have the answer to that question. But here's what I do know. Lot had by his own poor decisions rooted himself and his family in that wicked, godless city. He had had opportunity after opportunity to leave and didn't take it. The Bible says in Peter, he was vexed every day by what he heard and saw, but not vexed enough to get out. He was moved but not changed. God heard Abraham's intercession and went beyond what Abraham had asked for. Now you've got a man here, like I said, no Bible, no Jesus, no blood of the Lamb, no forgiveness by the blood of the Lamb, no born-again experience, and yet he prayed and God turned. What about you? Can we stand together today? Now, I know what some of you are thinking, and please don't leave. I'm going to let you go in just a moment. Hang on. Your roast won't burn, but somebody might. Now, just hang on. Now, I, I hear your thought. Here's what some of you are thinking. But, Jeff, that was Abraham, the father of our faith. I'm no Abraham. I don't have that kind of pull with God. But you do. You do. You do. Little old me, yeah. You. You're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. What do priests do? They worship and they intercede. Jesus said, the works that I do, you will do also, and greater than these, because I go to my Father in heaven. All right, what works does Jesus do? It says in Hebrews, he always lives to intercede for you and me. So what's Jesus doing? He's interceding right now. He's giving your name. He's saying your name. He's praying for you that you make it. He's praying that you don't go down, but you go through. He's praying that your faith does not fail. He's praying that you win, that you fulfill your call, that you reach the finish tape at the end. He's praying for you. Now, if he's interceding, where does that leave us? He said, you're going to do what I do, and greater than that. So we're all called to intercede. Can we lift our hands up to the Lord today? Jesus, we're in a nation sinking. We're in a nation filled with spiritual warfare and wickedness. Lord, we're in an evil and adulterous generation. But we're lights in this generation and salt in this generation, according to you. Now, Lord, today I pray that every member of this church, everybody in this sanctuary, no matter how they view themselves, will hear that small, still voice 
interrupting that TV show, interrupting that iPhone session, interrupting that magazine read, whatever it is, saying, come to the prayer closet. Come to the prayer closet. Come to the war room. Leave your phone outside. Leave the TV outside. Come into the war room. Shut the door. Take your Bible in there with you. Get on your knees. Call out on God, whether you feel it or not. And he will hear you, man of God, woman of God. He will hear you. And satanic assignments will be canceled. And people will be saved because you prayed. And God might just have mercy on America and pour out a great awakening. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name in the place of prayer. We hear your call. Help us, Lord, to occupy that war room and use it to go in there and spend time with you. Now, would you pray this prayer with me, dear church, and just say, Lord, today, make me a vessel of prayer to stand in the gap and intercede for that other person. Thank you that you will hear me. In Jesus' name, amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise today, would you? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. How many of you needed that today? I'll tell you, you're going to be hearing that call. Now, I saved the end to tell you how burdened I am over what happened last night in Orlando. And that massacre of people in that club. When I came to church this morning, 20 were confirmed dead, now 50. An Islamic terrorist went in there and just mowed them down. And I have already led the first service to pray for the families of those loved ones. Moms and dads are weeping and crying right now. Uh, sisters and brothers, neighbors and friends. And when you see something like that happen, you can know that was demonic. Satan came to kill, steal, and destroy. So for th things like that, reasons like that, the eye of God is searching and scanning the country. Will anybody hear me? Go into the prayer closet and pray I will I will I want to just leave you with this say Jeff you know I get in there my mind wanders I can't think of what to say sometimes I even go to sleep and so I just give up it's an acquired taste how did you ever start smoking those of you that did you took a hit off that cigarette First time, it went down into your lungs like an anvil. You choked, you sputtered, you might have gotten sick, but you persevered. <laughs> Didn't you? So I'm going to look cool. I got to look cool. And finally, your body said, I like it. Then it said, you got to have it. 
and you had a bad habit. You did the same thing when you drank. Those of you that drink, if you've never drank alcohol, never do. Now, listen, you threw back that shot of whatever. You don't lie to me. It tasted terrible. It was like it was from hell. It was hell water. But you persevered. And you kept on doing it until finally, I like it. Then you started paying $30 for a cup full of sugar and all kinds of different things with a little bit of alcohol in it. And now you got to have it. That's how bad habits happen. You go into prayer, you don't feel like it. You don't feel anything. You don't feel spiritual, but you persevere. You persevere. And, and, and then you wake up one day and you go, hallelujah. I like it. I can't wait to get into the presence of God. I can't wait to go pray. And you're hooked. 